Welcome, everyone, to Bringing Virtual Care Home. My name's Tina Nall, and I'm the Chief Clinical Officer at Anelto. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tony Dorman, who's the CEO of Electronic Caregiver and one of Anelto's premier partners. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Hey, can we start out by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background and what motivated you to innovate in the remote healthcare space? Uh, sure. I've been in the business of protecting people in one way or the other for 35 years. Uh, I started off in uh, intrusion and life safety monitoring when I was uh, very young as a teenager. And I grew up through the in industry into service, sales, executive management, and then went through some upstarts, built some businesses, sold them. Uh, we are one of our previous companies was kind of the pioneering do-it-yourself professionally monitored security system uh, under the brand called Laser Shield, and it was the first time successfully a consumer you know, related product was sold through mass market big box retail uh, where somebody could take it home. It had an interactive voice interface. I've always loved the simplicity of uh, a voice-based user interface. And uh, we had some record breaking sales and uh, when GE and Schlage and Black and & Decker and ADT and all the others had failed at retail, we had uh, some tremendous success. So over the years, dealing with hundreds of thousands of people interfacing with technology in their home, uh, you find a lot out about their preferences, but you find out a lot about their, their needs. And we had wanted many years ago to start moving uh, our life safety division into more expanded health monitoring and, and health support. And the problem is that the technology in the industry uh, had not evolved far enough yet to make that possible. And we're at an interesting time where there's been a tremendous amount of convergence that is driving adoption and capability and usability and compliance and interoperability. And here we are, uh, and I think we timed it just right together, both our companies did. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Um, electronic caregiver uses Anelto's hardware to deliver a complete solution to patients in the home. So Tony, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that solution? Well, you know, we started uh, with Anelto in this partnership back in uh, 2017. So we've, you know, spent a half a decade together with each other, uh, more than. Uh, we have several different offerings uh, that are Anelto based. So we have uh, a mobile personal emergency response system, but it is integrated with 24-7 uh, virtual primary care. So you have kind of a physician consultation on demand through the device. Uh, it has the traditional emergency response and the geolocation, but it also provides care plan management. So remembering to follow through on taking regular vitals, readings, and remembering to take medications around the clock daily is something that the device um, and, and interface helps patients do and do well. So it takes a lot of stress off of the user patient. 
And then we have an interactive voice-based hub um, that we have branded the ProHealth. It is a smart health hub. And we can provide interactive automated health surveys, uh, medication reminders, vitals reminders. Now, this is integrated into a full-service telecare center. So we're deploying this smart health hub that's on the Anelto platform to Medicare patients nationwide working with countless providers for those patients they're serving who have one or more chronic conditions. Wow. Well, and and um, I know that in a previous conversation, you and I talked about the stats related to chronic illness in the United States, which is vast. And yeah. um, I, I feel like a complete solution like yours really contributes to the possibility of chronic illness self-management. So given that, can you talk a little bit about Addison, your virtual caregiver, which is a feature within your solution? Yeah. And I, you know, I think I, maybe we should touch a little bit on the, just how vast the problem is um, and maybe why it's, it's possible today to do the things that we're doing. You know, uh, Bush in 04 had said, we've got to get health records digitized. Um, Obama in 08 said by 2014, we have to have the digitization of the health industry completed. And during that period of time, we had widespread adoption of broadband services. It became better, faster, more reliable, more affordable. Same with cellular connectivity. And recently we had... Uh, federal mandates drive interoperability between these health record systems. And under all of that, um, we had the cloud. So we got doctors who were buying expensive services but didn't have an IT staff uh, with these crashing, you know, automation, you know, infrastructures in a back closet. We got them onto the cloud. So there was reliability. Uh, things weren't moving into obsolescence, you know, every three to six months. Uh, and so it brought reliability and performance and the introduction of managed services through the cloud to build efficiencies uh, into these health organizations. Now, all of this converged at a time where we had the pandemic and doctors needed a way to connect with their patients. And what the pandemic did was it drove awareness and through adoption, kind of forced adoption. And the patients said, well, I really like this. And the doctor said, this is very convenient, and I'm getting some data that I wouldn't normally have in the health record. And so this is a really special time, and it's a time where it's very needed. And that's where we can kind of get into the stats. And uh, when we look at stats, one in three worldwide are living with MCCs, is the acronym, multiple chronic conditions. They have cardiovascular disease plus COPD, and they might have obesity or diabetes. And if they got the obesity, they might have diabetes soon, right? And all of the, you know, uh, consequential complications that come with that. Uh, increased, you know, visits to the doctor, uh, diabetic neuropathy. Um, some are losing functional independence faster than they should. Mortalities are up. But you think about 8 billion people on the planet and one in three are living with multiple chronic disease, you know, conditions. That is... Um, uh, that's driving some other problems. We've got about 33% of our doctors and nurses are at age 65 with an average retirement age of 68. 
they're estimating in the next 10 to 12 years. Uh, different studies put it at different levels, but you know, here in the U.S., between 40 and 120,000 um, uh, missing doctors. In other words, that'll be the shortage of cares. And when you look at how many at retirement age, how many suddenly left early because of the pressures of COVID, um, and then the lengthy time to train and the limited number of seats in medical schools, we have, have, kind of have a fixed supply and we have this outrageous demand. Um, in the United States, we have a problem with our, our aging. We've got 50 million now that are underserved. More than 80% of them in those, you know, that last decade later in life are going to need some support at home. And, you know, only 3% of the North American population has discretionary funds, 3%, to hire part-time live care assistants. So what we end up with is we end up with 39 million stressed out informal family, you know, caregivers that aren't paid that don't have support, that don't have technology and services to fill the gaps. They have loved ones that are dealing, and part of that population, dealing with multiple chronic conditions, complex care plans. And, you know, when you're running two lives and you've got your own children and your own job and your own, you know, spouse at home and your own household to run, and groceries, utilities, and taxes, and everything else that goes with it. And then you're trying to manage multiple chronic conditions and all the needs of somebody that you love. What the insurance companies are saying now is, it, you know, these folks are sunk in debt. They are suffering mental health and physical health crises because they're not taking care of themselves. And so you just look across the broad spectrum we have an aging population of 50 million now that by 2060 will be at 96 million, almost doubling in size, currently underserved. A lot of that population is part of the one in three with multiple chronic conditions. Uh, an, on, another population often overlooked is we have 9 million children. It's about 27% of our, our kids are living with a chronic condition or disability or both backed by underserved, you know, informal, stressed out parent caregivers. And you say, what, what are we going to do? Well, I think the first most obvious step is we have to get the carers we have better equipped to do more and serve more and still be able to meet their core obligations, whether that's managing their own personal life or managing their one to three to 15 clinics or whatever you know, size and scope of their organization is. And the only way that's going to happen is through the, um, the deployment and application of technology. And I think that what we've seen in the market that makes us together stand out is a lot of missteps on technology uh, and a lot of misconceptions about what's really required. A doctor has so much available time. They deal with Increased workloads, increased requirements for better performing, you know, care and outcomes, but their reimbursements in some cases have been cut back by 20 to 30%. So they're working harder and they're getting less. Meanwhile, their cost of insurance, their cost of utilities, their cost of fuel, their cost of labor, their stress of dealing with 
uh, turnover and retaining staff, especially through the pandemic. They have all of these inside pressures. And I think that a lot of these tech companies, engineering companies get together and they, they put together solutions that they think are great. We'll get this data or that data. They don't start with the patient and their immediate circle of uh, care support or absence of care support. They don't look deeply into the needs and the experiences, the distractions, frustrations, you know, the mental health issues, the depression, the sense of isolation, the uh, reluctance to adopt technology. They don't look at it from the patient's perspective. They also don't look at it from the provider's perspective. Uh, providers don't have time to call thousands of patients with medical necessity and multiple chronic conditions who could benefit from remote patient monitoring, coupled with some chronic care management, increasing engagement, getting data into the doctor's EHR. They don't have time to scrub those lists, formulate technology that matches the disease profile, explain it and get consent from the patient, manage the logistics of deploying that into the market, managing, you know, the required minutes, engagements, and responses to threshold alerts. They don't have, they don't have time for anything more. Uh, you know, they run these studies. They say the doctor, average doctor says, I spend 15 minutes with each patient. The average patient goes four times a year. And in between those four times a year, once a quarter, there are a lot of exacerbations, complications, developing symptoms that nobody knows about. They don't want to frighten family members, so they don't report. They think, I'll tell the doctor, but two months goes by. They go to the doctor. They wait an hour in the exam room, you know, after an hour in the waiting room. And the doctor comes in. They only really have six to seven minutes of FaceTime. So some studies say it's 15. Some say it's 10. But what a lot of times these studies are including is the time that the doctor's entering in information, writing things down and, and noting, you know, a document. They step in, they step out. The actual FaceTime might be six or seven minutes. So there are all these developing symptoms that are, are often leading to tragic consequences. Uh, loss of functional independence, escalation to a nursing home, uh, mortality. They're headed to a burial service. It all could have been preempted. Sometimes we have uh, patients that have um, poor response to their current treatment directives. They're on the wrong dosage. They're on the, the wrong medication entirely. I don't want to find out about that in two or three months after somebody's blood pressure dropped 70 over 30. They got lightheaded, fell, ended up with a head trauma, broken ribs, and a fractured hip, and, and now dies four months later. That's not even, that's not good for my patient. Certainly not good for my business, right? So, you know, you've got to be able to implement a program where technology goes into the home that is simplistic. It's inviting, it reaches out and engages the patient. It steps them through their care plan in an easy, understandable way that doesn't require a lot of schooling decision on their part. And that's what we've got putting these Anelto products into the market and then tying that into our Addison platform that, you know, manages uh, much of our care plans and other alerts and other services. And so we've made it easy for the patient. On the provider side, 
we're taking care of scrub and list, formulating orders, explaining it to patients, uh, the, the logistics, the education of the patient, in many cases, white glove delivery. We make sure the patient's using it. And it's not just the tech in the home and the support you provide and the integration and customization for the doctor. Many of our docs run our whole program right through their EHR, so you don't have to get on another platform. You also have to have this bridge between these two ecospheres, the home environment and the provider's environment, and that's an intermediary telecare team. These folks have got to be on track with their treatment plan, and non-adherence is responsible. Now think about one in three, multiple chronic conditions, and half of all treatment failures on, on Earth are attributed to non-adherence, which virtually all happens in the home. So the equipment has got to engage and help with adherence and keep people on track and collect the appropriate and proper data. But when people aren't using it, it can't be the doctor's obligation to reach out to that patient. The intermediary telecare team needs to make sure that the patients are following through on taking meds, that we're collecting symptoms, that we're reaching out to them remotely and identifying exacerbations and getting the unreported symptoms and circumstances that are developing and the changes in health status. We're getting that into the health record and prioritizing and getting actionable alerts and data to the doctor that they need to respond to. So we're not adding a bunch of data they have to decipher. We have specially telecare trained RNs, LPNs, CNAs, quality assurance nurses, workforce managers, and an incredible training curriculum. And we add training to their existing certification and prepare them to work in a dynamic, you know, very flexible, um, but very complicated telecare world, right? It's not, I think people have thought of telecare as just a simple occasional video chat with the doctor, but it's recognizing that alert that comes in where somebody took a vitals reading and their blood pressure is 70 over 30 and contacting that patient and going through some additional interrogatories and survey questions to formulate a report for the doctor validating this information. In one case, and I'm using this as an example, we did have somebody in Mississippi 70 over 30 lightheaded, feeling fatigued, uh, had had uh, two near falls and caught herself. Well, the doctor had been interacting with this patient who was had a lot of fluid retention from the previous med. The diuretics weren't helping. So he changed the medication. And within 48 hours, he saw that his patient was not getting the proper response. And instead of changing the medication again, determined that the dosage needed to be increased. That normalized the blood pressure and got the patient back on track. Now we're engaging in response to a skyrocketing blood pressure reading with another patient. And we find out they have not taken their medications in the last couple of days, right? It's not that they're on the wrong dosage. It's not that they're on the wrong medication. So the intermediary telecare team uses discernment and you know, their experience and education to be able to further validate this data, formulate an update to a uh, notice for the health record and get that to the doctor. 
And those kind of three legs of the stool are what make this magic. And I think if there's one thing I was going to end on, it's the missteps of the competition. Uh, we have people with declining hearing, declining vision. I mean, I'm in my 50s. Mine's not getting any better. Uh, memory loss, chronic pain, arthritis, you know, neuropathy, nerve damage and problems. And we're giving them apps on decision with decision trees. They have to navigate on small tablets and smart watches and mobile devices. Utilization is terrible. It always looks good in the control group and the focus groups, right? In the real world, it's, you know, you get two or three or 5% of people use it. Then in two weeks, almost nobody's using it anymore. It's terrible. You have to have utilization or you can't deliver the benefit. So when you put all these things together and you get the right technology that they do engage. And through that engagement gives you the right data. And you have this qualifying expert team that's providing additional engagement over and under the technology. And you're doing the heavy lifting for the provider. You're also doing something else for the provider. It's the most important thing. It's our primary focus. It's the thing that uh, both our companies, Electronic Caregiver and Anelto, do well together. We increase the patient contact engagement. We provide an easy, quick conduit of continuous oversight and adherence support. The oversight is monitoring the patient, collecting data. And what it allows us to do is early identify changes in health status or indications of decline in real time. Get that to a doctor and their care team who can earlier intervene, faster intervene, and be more informed in that intervention to personalize treatment directives and treatment plans and change prescriptions and medications and dosages so that they're monitoring and watching over and supporting at scale, but they're providing precision personalized medicine on an individualized basis. To me, that's absolutely transformational. And whether they're adopting now and get it, and you know, a lot of them are, some of that we run into are moving to us because they've had bad experiences with the, the world of apps, you know, from you know, Addison, which is a 3D virtual caregiver interface. It adds kind of the seeing is believing in this dynamic, personalized, interactive experience. I mean, she shares your weather, your time of day, your faith, introduces animals, musical devices, interactive things for cognitive stimulation, walks you through medication, walks you through using vitals devices, does complex interactive health surveys. We say she's a world of experiences. And uh, that's all the things I mentioned. You can change ethnicity, language, gender, world of connectivity, telecare, virtual primary care, hands-free calling to members of the care circle and family caregivers connected to the, uh, you know, Bluetooth devices. And we're marketing her right now with uh, Anelto mobile GPS and other things. So the RF component for emergency response and wearable wearables is there. Um, so we have some, in, you know, we have some in, incredible uh, uh, interfaces. When you step back and you look at just everything that we do together, whether they adopt now, um, whether they're moving from somebody they had a bad experience with to get the good experience of what, what we can do. Uh, and it's, it's so vast. I mean, from 
the patient contact to the explanation to the onboarding to the logistics uh, to the white labeling and customization that we do to all the heavy lifting. We're even helping them build their own brands in their communities and investing to build awareness and in clinic and outside of clinic and lots of grassroots uh, PR because within connected care is the future. And it's the only path augmenting live service professionals in a way that help them treat and support more people more effectively. There's no other way to deal with the scaling demand, the rising in demand, the labor shortages, but to fill the gaps in care and coordination. How else would you do it without augmenting live care with technology and these kinds of features? I don't see it. So yeah. I think that you know, we have a pretty bright future uh, together. And I think you're going to see, um, you know, digital health has grown around the world. We say together, digital health has evolved far beyond the app. That's really our story. This is digital health beyond the app. That was a land grab exploiting a COVID pandemic, seeing if you can make some money. We've always been in this, both our companies, which is why we work so well together, focusing on being patient centric. We started long before there was ever a, a whisper of a, a, a looming pandemic, you know, um, looking at what we could do to really serve the needs of the people. And I don't know anybody that does as well as we do. Yeah. Wow. Um, such a, such a complete vision. Um, the, the two things I'll add to that, um, and you may have alluded to this, um, in your explanation, but another labor shortage besides providers are nurses. Um, and, yeah putting together that virtual care team that's able to do that daily surveillance of patients using nurses allows for those early interventions to be handled by nurses at times not even needing to uh, involve the provider as well as build trusting relationships between the patient um, and the, the virtual care team um, as well as help to mitigate the staffing issues in acute care hospitals where there is a lack of staffing because of a nursing shortage. So yes. all of those are solved with this solution that you're, you're um, endorsing. And, and uh, as a long-term healthcare professional, almost to four decades now, um, I, I truly um, embrace that vision and hope to see you be madly successful with your solution. So um, couldn't appreciate your partnership with Anelto more. Love your insight and um, hope to connect with you on a regular basis going forward. Before we close, Tony, are there any, th any other thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think uh, when you spoke about the, the nursing shortage, you know, being able to get um, to become an extension, giving them access to nursing staff through the telecare component of this to provide that coaching and to answer the questions and provide direction for, you know, that endless, you know, growing group of informal carers, you know, is just another way to, to bring benefit to the to the market. Um, I'd, I'd say if there were one thing that I, I definitely want to share, we just came out of 2022. We had a very big year. Four consecutive years of high-end hypergrowth. We went up against 7 million companies from energy to transportation to healthcare to consumer products. 
uh, competing to be in the top 0.7% of the fastest growing private companies in North America, and we made it. We made number 968 of the Inc. 5000. And so now, you know, the next goal is uh, take both of our companies forward and uh, get us into the Fortune 500 ranking. That's next. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go, go, Anelto, an electronic caregiver. Let's go. Um, Thank you so much, Tony, for being a guest. And um, to all of you out there, I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Bringing Virtual Care Home. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.